Hey, I am so glad that you are here today. We always like to celebrate the first Sunday of baseball season, the first Sunday of football season, just anything that allows us to like put on a jersey and not have to dress up for church, we enjoy. So for those of you who joined us in that today, thank you. For those of you at home, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. For those of you outside, thanks for being with us. Listen, I talked to someone yesterday who um, runs a big business, and he said, we are, we are now telling our employees, take a deep breath, this season that we're going through could last for a year and a half, two years. We've got to learn how to move through it together. So some of you, I say that for this reason, some of you are going to be doing online church much longer than you ever anticipated. Listen, we're praying for you. We're here for you. Fight for spiritual community. The families that you feel comfortable seeing, see the small groups you feel comfortable having, have the serving you feel comfortable doing. Do in the fall when the weather cools down. If you want to come watch church outside, come watch church outside. The vast majority of our church is watching online, not in the building. And we want you to know we love you. We miss you. We're thinking about you. One day we'll be back together, but fight for your spiritual community. Um, don't, don't give up. It may be a longer season than you anticipated, but don't give up. Hey, if you got your Bibles and you're in the room today, we're in Psalm chapter two. We're hanging out week seven of summer in the Psalms. It's been an incredible series, uh, but it really has been an incredible summer. Not just on Sunday mornings learning about the Psalms, but every day during the week we do what we call daily prayer at noon on Facebook. We've been going through Psalm 119, kind of one verse at a time, a long way through Psalm 119. If you have 12 to 15 minutes every day at noon and a smartphone or a computer, you can get on and join us just for a time to take a deep breath every day, lean into God's word and pray. We'd love for you to join us for daily prayer at noon. And, and we would love for you not just to celebrate but to join us before the summer is over in our summer of serving. We have been since June 1 hitting it hard, trying to serve and love our community well. You heard Pastor Mike mention this week 1,200 meals that we help serve at Nourish KC. This week we'll be putting together beds. I don't know if you heard Pastor Mike say last week, there are 5,000 children in the Kansas City metro area that do not have a bed to sleep in. 5,000 kids in Kansas City who last night slept on the floor or on a couch because they don't have a bed. Our church will be engaged this week in building beds, affordable beds for those kids. There's lots more work to do. All of those slots are filled. Um, but for those of you who will be serving this week, you'll be having a major, major impact. Some little kid this week is going to sleep in a bed who hasn't slept in a bed all summer because of the way you have served them. Thank you for being willing to serve. And then our grand finale, kind of what we call our, our love week, where we ask our entire church to engage as much as possible, begins on August 9th. Sunday, August 9th, starting at 2 o'clock, Sherry, we'll be preparing 15,000 meals. We'll prepare 15,000 meals that we'll pack and deploy from here on Sunday, August 9. Um, Sunday, uh, Monday, August 10, we'll be you know, doing a blood drive. Um, for those of you who are kind of into that kind of thing, or for those of you who are like me, not into that kind of thing, but you're into helping people, and you're like, you know what, just knock me out and let's go. Um, Monday, August 10, you can sign up to be a part um, of our blood drive. And then on Saturday, August 15th, we end our summer of serving week working with the Kansas City Dream Center. Uh, we will be delivering that day 12,000 fresh pounds of produce in inner city Kansas City, and we'll be doing an adopt-a-block project and just trying to help clean up and love an area in inner city Kansas City. Um, if you want to be a part of any of that, you can text Journey Serve to 474747. Um, I think the coolest thing that I heard this week, for those of you watching online who live out of town, um, our community impact team is going to help you wherever you live find a place to plug into your community. So you say, I live in Iowa, I live in Illinois, I live in Georgia, I live in Alabama. Uh, 
Um, no matter where you live in the country, if you will text this week, Journey Serve to 474747, 47, you can click on Out of Town Serving Opportunities. If you reach out to us, we will find a place in your community, like the places we serve in our community, and we will help you serve locally, which is so cool, which means the ministry of Journey literally isn't just happening in our community, but in communities all over America, um, people who are hurting are going to be served. Sherry, thank you for what you're doing to make all of that a possibility. You should absolutely Absolutely. Um, put your hands together. Exciting, exciting things that have been happening. Even in the summer of 2020, COVID-19 summer, God is working in a major way. Hey, two goals today as we get ready to jump into Psalm chapter two. Number one, to learn about the royal Psalms of Israel. You heard Pastor Mike say, I don't know everything about the Bible. I do know this. There are not cardinal Psalms. There aren't cub Psalms. There aren't tiger Psalms um, or Indian Psalms. Say, what are royal Psalms? Royal Psalms are Psalms that emphasize God. God is king, royalty, and they look forward to the rule of the coming of the Savior, King Jesus. These are a particular group of psalms that look forward to God being the king of the world, and they look forward to Jesus one day being the Savior, king of our lives. As we learn about the royal psalms of Israel, here's how we want to apply them. We want to ask ourselves if Jesus is really the king of our lives. And you can probably ask yourself that question, I mean, right now. You don't even have to hear the entire message would you say that Jesus is the king of your life? That was the point of the royal psalms, to look forward to the day that God is in charge, but specifically to, to ask the question, is Jesus the king of our lives? Well, you could ask it this way, the title of our Bible study today, Who's the Boss? Now, when I grew up, I watched a show with Tony Danza where he was a housekeeper for Angela. Um, you might remember that, her and her teenage daughter, Alyssa Milano, at the time, who's in, in, in the... The thought of the sitcom was, who's really in charge? Who's the boss? Who's the boss in your life? Is Jesus really the king of your life? That's a question we want to try to ask and answer today. Before we jump into Psalm chapter 2, we always like to pray, ask God to speak to our hearts. Would you bow your heads with me? Those of you who are here, those of you sitting outside, those of you at home, take a deep breath if you haven't done that yet today or this week. And if you're a praying person, just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. Ask God to speak to you today. Speak to us today, Lord. That's our prayer. Lord, we are living in a world that needs a righteous and good king. We need a godly king. God, show us that reality today and then help us to see the areas in our lives where we've not yet allowed Jesus to be the boss yet. Show us where we can grow today. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Hey, Psalm chapter 2, let's read it together, says this. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king. On Zion, my holy mountain, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry. And your way will lead to your destructions, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. 
Danielle and I were having lunch two weeks ago um, on a Friday when the Amber Alert hit our phone, like it hit many of your phones at the exact same time that a little girl in North Kansas City, her name was Olivia Jansen, had been kidnapped. And they gave the description of the car that you were supposed to be looking for. We did, like, like we did often when we get an Amber Alert, we just kind of paused and said a silent prayer for her and her family and whatever was going on in the situation, only to find out later that night that uh, her dad and his girlfriend had actually killed her and buried her in a shallow grave kind of across the street from their house in a park. Um, the very next Friday, through a set of relational circumstances that only God can bring together, um, I stood at her casket and officiated her funeral in North Kansas City with hundreds and hundreds of people from her community, wearing yellow t-shirts, her favorite color with her name on them, mourning in tremendous anger and brokenness what had happened. And I said to them about the only thing that you can say in a situation like that where you're trying to pastor people through this, this shouldn't happen. This shouldn't happen. If anything in 2020 has shown us how broken our world is and that we need somebody good to be in charge, it's what we're doing today. Um, As we look at Psalm chapter 2, Psalm chapter 2 is begging for a world where a righteous king would be in charge. Psalm chapter 2 is saying, I'm looking around at everything happening in the world, and God, when, oh, when, God, are you going to come and be in charge? Because everything around us is broken. Psalm chapter 2 begins, and it says, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? Why is everything broken? Why is the world broken? Why are people broken? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together. Why are the leaders broken? They rise up against the Lord and against his anointed. Then they say, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The psalmist opens Psalm 2 by saying, Lord, everywhere I look, everything is broken. God, when are you going to come and deal with this? God, when are you going to come and do something about this? Now, here's what's interesting about these three verses. They follow Psalm chapter 1. And Psalm chapter 1 gives us a premise for blessing. Good people, righteous people are blessed. Wicked people are cursed, but then turns right around in Psalm chapter 2 and challenges that premise with real world trouble. Psalm 1 spiritually has this kind of very shallow theology that good righteous people, things always go well for them. And bad wicked people, things always go bad for them. And then the very next Psalm says, except, that's what I thought, except, The whole world appears to be broken. So God, oh God, when are you going to come and fix this? God, oh God, when are you going going to come and, and fix things? And what's interesting is we study the Psalms, we realize that the royal Psalms were birthed out of a broken system of leadership within Israel and a broken world of sin outside of Israel. And these two things led to these psalms. I don't know if you know this. You might jot this down for those of you who are Bible geeks like me. The psalms were written over a period of a 1,000 years. Many of them were written by David in David's lifetime, but Moses, we know, wrote one of the psalms in 1450 B.C. or so. Ezra, we know, authored some of the psalms. That would have been in 450 B.C. or so. So the psalms were written over a period of a 1,000 years. And this 1,000-year period in Israel's history was a 1,000-year period marked by chaos within the leadership of Israel and marked by chaos in the broken world of sin outside of Israel. 
you've ever read the book of Judges, one of my favorite books in the Bible because of how much I, I believe it relates to the world we live in in the 21st century. The, the, the book of Judges is written where it's at in the Bible to set up the premise. When you start the book of Judges, there's never been a king in Israel. And it says several times in the, in the book of Judges, you'll see the verse, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone just did what they wanted. The book of Judges was written to set us up to think by the final verse of Judges, my gosh, they need a good king in Israel. Because the judges would lead, then they fall, then they lead, then they fall, then they lead, then they fall. So the reader who's reading the Old Testament is supposed to get to the end of the book of Judges and think, I guess they need a king. I guess they need a righteous king. And certainly they did. By the end of Judges, the people would ask for a king when we get into 1 Samuel. But, but what they didn't realize is they didn't just need a king. They needed a good king. God showed them that by giving them a bad king. In Judges, it was like, we need a king. So God gave him a king. His name was Saul, but he was not a good king. So about halfway through his reign, they said, you know what? We don't just need a king. We need a good king. We need a righteous king. So God then gives him a king named David, who is a righteous king. He is a good king. He has a heart for God. But even in his life and in his relationships, he has faults and he has failures. And even his reign kind of falls apart. But David writes Psalm 2 when, when they get to the point where they think they have it all figured out. The problem was, as you look through the book of Judges, they just needed a king. And then when you look at Saul, it's like, no, they just, need a, they just need a king who loves God. Now they have a king who loves God. And David says, everything seems to be right in Israel, but now all the enemies around us, like the world is still broken. We finally have what we thought we needed to fix our world, our problems. But God, everything still is so, so broken. Just when I thought I had my life figured out. The world outside of my life came crashing down on mine. I think you could call the Royal Psalms 2020 Psalms, right? God, even when I put everything in order in my life, even when I was King David on a good day, I was a good king pursuing you righteously. Even when I had lined everything up in my life to follow you, the world around me, and the chaos in the world around me just messed everything up. God, when will you come and finally be in charge? That's the heart of the Royal Psalms. Even when I do everything right, the world is still so broken. God, what's your answer? And God's response as we read Psalm chapter 2 to the Royal Psalms is this. The king is on the throne. God, when are you going to come and take over? And God says, listen, the king is on the throne. The king is on the throne. Did you see that? Verses four through six. As we read through Psalm chapter two, the one enthroned in heaven laughs at this, at this thought that God's not in charge. The one in, enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. God, when are you gonna, when are you gonna take over? And God says, I, like, I already did that. I've already insta I've installed my king in my place on, on my royal throne, which, which leads us to ask this question. God's response is, hey, I am in charge, which leads us to ask, then, then why doesn't it look like it? God, when are you going to take over? And God says, I already have. And those of us who follow God then said, then why doesn't it appear you're in charge yet? 
Why doesn't it appear you're in charge in Washington, D.C.? Why doesn't it appear you're in charge yet in Jeff City and Topeka? Why does it not appear you're in charge yet in the Middle East or in uh, parts of the Sudan? Why, like, why does it appear you're not yet in charge of infectious diseases? Like, like God, everything is so broken. You're saying you're on the throne. Why does it not appear that you're on the throne? And that is the question that we ask globally that actually takes this whole psalm and takes our focus off of the world and puts it right back on our heart. God, if you are king, why are you not in charge of everything yet? And God says, great question, let's start with you. God, if you're really on the throne, why are you not completely in charge of everything in the world yet? And God says, that is the right question. But let's start with you. And it is this question, and it is this turn in Psalm chapter 2 that makes this royal psalm that we thought was about fixing our broken world, this now makes this a psalm about Jesus and whether or not Jesus is king in our lives. See, when we ask this question, God, you say you're on the throne, but you're not in control of everything yet. God, how does this happen? That question, if we ask it about our own hearts instead of our world, makes Psalm 2 a royal psalm about King Jesus and his role in our life. Now, it's very clear to see Jesus in Psalm chapter 2. For those of you who know a little bit about the life of Jesus, for those of you um, who understand a little bit about Jesus' story, and you've read Scripture enough to understand it when you hear it, you read Psalm 2 and you, you already saw Jesus because when you read verse 7, you thought, oh, that's written. I know that's written about Jesus because it was said about Jesus. Psalm 2, 7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Those of us who have studied closely the life of Jesus say, I know that line. That, 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 that's what God said at Jesus' baptism. I know that one is about Jesus. So it was very easy for me to see Jesus in Psalm chapter 2 because at Jesus' baptism and at Jesus' transfiguration, both of those times God said, you are my son. So, so it's easy for me to see Jesus in Psalm chapter 2. That makes a whole lot more sense. But Psalm 2 is much deeper than the baptismal or transfiguration, Mount of Transfiguration announcement about Jesus. Because as we read Psalm chapter 2 carefully, we realize it doesn't just introduce us to Jesus' baptism, which it does clearly, but it also introduces us to his crucifixion as well. The baptism one, much easier to spot in Mark chapter 1. Mark, who is speaking as the mouthpiece of the apostle Peter, Four men wrote books about the life and ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Matthew and John were both eyewitnesses of everything Jesus did. Mark was probably an eyewitness of a lot of what Jesus did, but he traveled around with a guy named Peter, who was known as the Apostle Peter, Simon Peter. He heard him preach all of his stories about Jesus, and he wrote them down in a book that they later put his name on, but it was Peter's story. So the Apostle Peter probably telling this story about Jesus' baptism. We know that Peter and his brother Andrew were fishermen. They hung out often along the Jordan River and along the Sea of Galilee. They could have been there on the day Jesus was baptized. Said so when Jesus was baptized, a voice came from heaven and said, You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. We would put Psalm 2-7 together with Mark 1-11 and say that was written about Jesus. That was written to help us see Jesus. That one is, that one is the very, very clear 
allusion to Jesus in Psalm chapter 2. But there's even a more specific one, according to the apostle Peter, who told Mark the story of Jesus, who wrote it down, but who himself preached in Acts chapter 4, quoting Psalm chapter 2, saying this was not just written about Jesus, this was written about Jesus, Herod, Pontius Pilate, and everyone living at this time. In Acts chapter 4, the apostle Peter's preaching about Jesus of Nazareth, who was the Messiah who was crucified, but who was raised from the dead. And he said, Psalm chapter 2 told us that this was going to happen. Peter said, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. He's quoting Psalm chapter 2. He's saying, David said that about our time. Indeed, he now gives a hermeneutic of Psalm 2. Herod and Pontius Pilate were the leaders who met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city at this time to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So Peter said, in Psalm 2, David said they would do this to Jesus. But then he said they only did it to Jesus because that was God's plan. You see, God's plan for King Jesus was this, that Jesus would first become a king through a life of ministry and a death on a cross. Is Jesus king? Sure, Jesus is king. He would be identified as God's son at his baptism and his transfiguration, according to Psalm 2. But then according to Psalm 2, the rulers of the world and the people of the world would conspire to crucify him, but Peter said that also was all a part of God's plan because for Jesus to become king of the world, Jesus first had to die on a cross for the world. So God anointed that his ministry and his death would come first because that would allow him to be the king in your life. So he said, that's what God means when God says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Peter says, when God planted the cross, not a throne, but a cross in the mountains of Jerusalem, And he hung his son on that cross. He enthroned him in the place where he could be the spiritual king of the world. He installed his king on Zion on his holy mountain. So Jesus is king. The question we would have, or that I think we have in Psalm 2 today is, well, if that's true, if God has installed Jesus as king, why isn't Jesus king of the whole world? yet? And I would answer that question the way I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to answer that question today. I believe the answer to this question is this. Jesus can't be king of the world until he's king of your world, because you're in the world. Amen? Like a lot of us want Jesus to be king of the world. He's just not king of our world. Like he's, he's king of the parts of our world that we want him to help us with, because we've already decided those are very important. But the parts of our world we don't want him to be king and master of, we're still in control of those. Pastor Mike and I talked this week on the Activate podcast about, we really drilled down into this thought about what does it mean for Jesus to be king. And I said, Jesus is really not king in your life until he's king in your life in an area where you disagree with him, but you choose to let him be right. The areas of our life where we already agree with Jesus and we just want kind of like his, his, you know, his spiritual blessing like some fairy dust, that's not allowing Jesus to be king. That's asking him to be a helper in an area you've already decided is important. Jesus isn't king until he's king of an area where you said, I want to go this way, but Jesus says go this way, so I guess I'm going to go this way because he's in charge. 
That's when you know Jesus has authority. That's when you know Jesus is the boss. And that's why God says of the Messiah in Acts and Psalm 2.8, Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. I will make the ends of the earth your possession. And then he says in verses 10 and 11, Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. You say, I want Jesus to be the king of my life. So do I. I want, well, let, me, let me say it this way. I want Jesus to be the king of the whole world. Amen? Like, I need Jesus to be the king of the whole world. That would make 2020 go better if Jesus was the king of the whole world. So let me start there. I want Jesus to be the king of the whole world. Which means Jesus is going to have to be the king of my world, or he can't be the king of the whole world. Say, so how's that happen? Psalm chapter 2 gives us four things that are all written in these two verses. The royal psalms ask us to do four things. Number one, be wise. Be wise. You got to see this. You got to see this. Be wise. Number two, I think this is really good. Be warned. I'm going to give you the warning in a minute. Because Jesus is going to be king of the world, even if he's not king of your world eventually. He is. He's going to be king of the world, even if you don't allow him to be king of your world. So be warned. Number three, serve the Lord. Be wise, be warned, serve the Lord. And then number four, celebrate his authority. Be wise, be warned. Psalm 2, 10 and 11. Be wise, be warned, serve the Lord, celebrate his authority. Let me ask you a question. This could be the question that you need to wrestle with this week, maybe this year. What's the area in your life where Jesus does not yet have authority, where he is not yet king? In Luke chapter 18, we meet a man that we know is a rich young ruler. We don't know his name. All we know is that he would give Jesus control of everything but his money. And Jesus said, to be king of your life, I've got to have control of everything. He's the only person in scripture, Jesus said, I need all of your money. Jesus does not ask anyone in the world to give all their money, except this guy, give all your money. Because he knew that he couldn't be king in his life until the guy had shed himself of his possessions. Guess I can't do that. And Jesus said, then I can't be king in your life. So what's, what's your area? What's your area where Jesus is allowed to be king of everything but this area? You know, when I was growing up in youth ministry, it was kind of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I, I think now that I've done um, ministry for 20 plus years, two of those are right. Um, I think it would probably be sex, money, and rock and roll. Rock and roll, of course, standing not for like the music, um, which I love actually in good context. I like all three of those things um, now that I'm married. But, but by rock and roll, I mean a, like a culture, a culture that is unhealthy. Sex, money, and rock and roll. Those are the three areas usually that people hold on to the tightest and the longest. With teenagers, it's being sexually pure. I've learned now that I've pastored a church that the only people that need to lean into sexual purity more than teenagers are single adults. They need to quit having sex with people they're not married to. And they need to stop living with people that they're not married to. Because if Jesus is king of your life, you're not going to do those things. In the money area, there's a lot of people, really more than, it's more fear than materialism, I've realized. But there's a lot of people when it comes to money, Jesus is king of everything but money. And he can't touch their money. If they have extra, they'll give him some. But in the area of money, they still sit on that throne in their life. And in rock and roll, just parts of the culture, parts of the culture that, that they just like too much to, Jesus says, go right. They said, no, I want to go left. In these areas, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't want to do that. 
Is there a single area in your life where Jesus is not yet king, where he does not have authority, where he's not the boss? Those are the things we need to learn from this psalm to celebrate his authority. And what we realize as we look at the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, Jesus' first reign in the world is going to be over and is over those who surrender to the authority of Jesus in their life as king. Jesus, he is king of many of you here, many of you watching right now online. Jesus is king in some areas of your life. You've made the statement like the disciple Thomas in John 20, 28, my Lord, my God. You've said Jesus is my king. In this area, Jesus does have total control. In this area, I have surrendered. Jesus is my God and he is my king. You've done it in a lot of areas, maybe not every area. But even if every Christian did it in every area, we still find ourselves in Psalm 2 saying, but what about the rest of the world, man? Because culture is not something that I'm engaged in right now, but just because I live in it, it's crushing my soul. What about the rest of culture? If every Christian gave Jesus every area of their life, the world would still be messed up. You're right, it would for now. But Philippians 2 promises this, that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, every person you've seen on TV who's frustrated you in the last 90 days, one day their knee's gonna bow to Jesus. Every person on social media that has made a single comment that's frustrated you, every one of them, one day they're going to say Jesus is king. One day. Those of us who choose to surrender to the reign of Jesus and follow him now, we should be doing that now. Our knees should bow, our tongues should confess now. But one day we need to be assured because we can get so frustrated thinking the whole world is going to hell. You, you know what? There are days it sure feels like that. But as Christians, we need to realize one day, maybe not now and maybe not in our lifetime, but one day every one of these people is going to see Jesus like I see Jesus. And it may be in judgment, but one day, one day that my faith will be vindicated. They're going to see Jesus like I see Jesus. That's the that's promise of Scripture. But those who don't humbly and willingly surrender that themselves will have that forced upon them according to Psalm 2 that is then fulfilled in Scripture. You say, well, what about those who don't surrender their will? Here's what we hear happens. You'll break them with a rod of iron. You'll dash them to pieces like pottery. So kiss his son. Or he's going to be angry. And your way is going to lead you to destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. So blessed will be all those who take refuge in him. You say, that's harsh. It sure is. But it's true. And what's not harsh is that we were warned thousands of years ago that it's coming. So no one is without excuse. Well, no one told me. That's why we go tell people about Jesus. Because these verses are fulfilled in Jesus three times in the book of Revelation. The exact same language is used about Jesus. To the one who is victorious, Jesus says, and does my will to the end, I'll give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter. That's an iron rod. And will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. And then twice more in Revelation, Revelation 12, 5, Revelation 19, 15, Jesus will one day in his reign for those who don't willingly surrender, 
he will come with authority, strength, and he will do these things. But then Jesus says in Revelation 2, and those of you who have decided to surrender early will come with me in my rule and in my authority. You will one day have my spiritual authority on earth. But here's what we learn from Psalm chapter 2. Mixed with the life and message of Jesus, we gain spiritual authority in the future by giving spiritual authority to Jesus today. So you say, I can't wait until one day Jesus is in charge of everything. I agree. But today, today, that means everything in your life. It's the only thing we're in control of. That's the only thing we have the right to surrender, everything in our lives. I mean, I, I wish Jesus was in charge of everything. The only way that wish can come true for you is by starting with your life giving Jesus everything. You say, man, I want to do that. I want to do that, Christian. I want to, I want to give Jesus more authority in my life. How do I do that? Four ways. Be wise. Be warned. Serve the Lord. Celebrate his authority. You say, I, w- I, want, I want Jesus to be in control of everything. Me too. Be wise. Be wise. That's the right way to think. Be warned. For those of you who say, I don't want Jesus to be in charge of everything. One day he's going to be whether you like it or not. If your knee doesn't willingly bow, it will be forced to bow. If your tongue doesn't willingly speak, one day it will be forced to speak. That Jesus, he is the king of the world. So for those of us who choose that now, serve him. Serve the Lord and celebrate his authority in your life. Even when everything in you says, I want to be this way. When Jesus says, I want you to be this way, we go this way. That's allowing Jesus to be the boss, the king of our life. Before this message, you ask God, to speak to your hearts today, what has he said? What area has he touched on? What area has he said, this one was for you today? If I'm going to be king, I'm going to need authority in that area. What's God said, and what are you going to do about that today? We pray with me as we consider those questions here. For those of you watching online, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. All over our building and all of our environments, for those of you who are watching at home, if you came to church this morning separated from Jesus, Your knee has never bowed. Your tongue has never confessed that Jesus is indeed the king of the world. One day, one day by willing surrender or by spiritual authority and force, that's going to happen. If you've never bowed your knee to Jesus, if you've never confessed that he is the king and began to follow him, would you do that today? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but I believe God speaks to hearts in moments of prayer. If you leave today and you force God's hand one day to bow your knee, to open your mouth, he will do that, but he would rather have you lovingly surrender that to him. If you've never done that, then open your heart and your mouth. Bow your knee to Jesus today. Tell him that you need him in your life. If you've never prayed and invited Jesus to be a part of your life, if you've never committed to follow Jesus with your life. You can do that right now. All you gotta do is open up your heart, open up your mouth and tell him. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray from your heart. God hears you in heaven. Pray something like this if your spirit today is saying, I need to finally bow my knee and open my mouth to declare Jesus, Lord, in my life. Just pray something like this, Jesus. Today I wanna bow my knee and open my mouth to declare that I need you in my life. My life is broken and I need your healing and direction. Forgive my sin and my brokenness. Heal me and make me brand new. Today by faith, 
which means I don't understand everything, but I'm willing to believe it. I surrender my will to your spirit. Come into my heart and my life and lead me. Today I commit to follow you. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. If you just prayed that prayer with me in just a second, we're going to give you an opportunity to let us know that you prayed with us so we can celebrate with you, so we can give you some resources, so we can help you in your new walk with Jesus. But as we get ready to complete our prayer, let me talk to the Christians who are here, who are listening, who are watching online. Christians, where do you need to surrender authority in your life? Where do you need more wisdom to be wise? Where do you need a warning today? Because Jesus is not king in an area of your life. Where do you need to celebrate his authority even though it's hard? Because if you can put your finger on those things today, you have taken a step forward spiritually if you will do them. God, speak to us today. At whatever volume we need to hear your voice, speak to our hearts so that King Jesus might sit on the throne of our lives. We love you. We need your help. We need your help in our world, which means we're going to need your help in our hearts. Start with us and use us, Lord, so that your light might shine brightly in our world and in our community and in our culture. It's our prayer. And we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen and amen. That was a nice little symbol to end our prayer time with a... With a kind of a heavenly thought and sound. Um, hey, if you made a spiritual decision today, uh, in the back of your seat is a connection card we'd love for you to fill out. Just put your name on that. Let us know today I prayed to say yes to Jesus or to recommit my life. When you leave the auditorium, you can go out the, those doors right there, take it to our next steps area. Um, they'd love to give you some resources, answer questions. If we can pray for you in any area, please don't hesitate to let us know. Um, if you're watching online and you just made a spiritual decision, you can text two words, Journey Connect to 474747. The same connection card that is in the back of the seats will pop up on your phone. You can fill it out. Let us know you made a spiritual decision. We'll reach out and contact you this week. So please let us know if we can help you in any way.